0: what if you got so good at trying to be nice and appropriate and likable that you succeeded in suppressing your real self and all the friends that you'd ever known had only gotten to know this fake version of you i'll tell you what happens the friendships that you develop just tend to fritter away there's very little there that's what happens so much of the time when you're a person who grew up with childhood trauma and you've been fighting that, that like rough side of you that comes out when you're triggered, when you've been suppressing it instead of healing it, all right? Complex PTSD, and that's the kind of PTSD that develops after chronic ongoing trauma, like being an abused kid or a neglected kid, it has some really harsh symptoms that are not fun for people to be around, okay? I know that you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's not your fault you were traumatized, but now you may have this harsh side that comes out and gets too angry or too needy or falls too much in love or you get too jealous or you're just, I don't know, too traumatized to be accepted by other people. That really can happen. And you may have been living in fear that they would see that part of you. People with CPTSD have this kind of like unfortunate habit of fleeing relationships and there's different ways to do it you can blow them up with anger you can abandon the person you can get all obsessed on them which is another form of abandoning them or with this sort of covert avoidance strategy of trying to be nice being so nice like how could they ever leave and that's how a good number of us end up alone and completely baffled why we keep losing friends and partners when we've actually been so nice. Alright, I have a letter today from someone I'll call Carla, she says, Dear Fairy, I am so humiliated, I keep thinking I've made connections only to be ghosted over and over again and it's breaking my heart. I'm a heterosexual woman, 63 years old and I meet a potential friend thinking that I'm making a friend, making a connection, maybe it goes over months, maybe even years. These are people who I sincerely like, who I want to be friends with, and I consciously measure my behavior so that I am not always talking about my pain or trauma. I'm giving them space to come forward and I can retreat without putting pressure on them. I feel like I'm finally making friends when this happens. I don't hear from them for a while. I give them space and then I find out after months that they've been living the life. They've been going out, having fun, meeting new people, getting into relationships and so on while I've been at home alone being concerned for them because I haven't heard from them. And then it hits me, I've been ghosted. They've been around, they just haven't wanted to be with me or even check in. And I'm hurt and mortified that I've been concerned for them while I've been living a lonely, solitary life. And I sincerely have no idea what happened. Just, I'm going to keep reading, but I'm going to circle the word concerned for them. Okay, (laughs) case in point I was working with a group of young women, we'd regularly go out for lunch taking whoever's car. I was so happy to finally be part of a team and then my car broke down. It took exactly a week to realize that without my car I was nothing. They would go off for lunch without me, no invitations. How could I have gone for a couple of years without realizing none of them even liked me? That's the part that's so mortifying. I'm too stupid to live. I'm going to circle that too Carla. that's a terrible thing to say. We'll come back to that, okay, and it's not even about dating men because I so rarely do and I'd like to be in a relationship but baby steps I guess. It's about making friends, having a best friend, one of my most cherished dreams. At 63 and still trying to establish friendships, I'm effing disconsolate. Fairy, I can't help thinking something must be desperately wrong with me to be this age and still trying to make friends realizing I've been living a total crap fit life. Crap fit for anyone who doesn't know is a word in the in in my videos for when we fit ourselves to crappy situations. Finding the crappy childhood fairy has been one of the best blessings of my life. Finally someone gets me after decades of seeking help. I've started the daily practice, which I love, and have signed up for the Healing Childhood PTSD course. My question is, how do I manage these heartbreaks in the meantime? How do I develop some sort of confidence when all my connecting isn't connecting? How do I even begin to date under these conditions? What little self-esteem I had is being systematically eroded, and it's all I can do not to just close my heart and never try to make connections again. I think we know the feeling. If it weren't for the crumbs, I would have nothing. Oh, I'm going to circle that too. I hope you can provide some words of comfort or advice. Not tough love, because I'm already crushed. Thank you and thank you for all you do. You've given me hope. Carla. Okay, no tough love here for you, Carla, today. Just love, all right? Just love for you. You have childhood PTSD and what you're describing is what so many of us have struggled with. And I started out this video talking about the phenomenon of fake friends. These friendships tend to develop when we had the idea that we had to totally suppress our real selves, like you did here, where you were saying you were so good. You measure your behavior. You don't talk about your pain or trauma. And I agree, that's good. But you're also saying I give them space to come forward and I retreat so that they don't have pressure. That's all really good. But when I look at your whole letter, I just see a woman whose heart is completely good, who wants something totally normal, who's trying to squish herself into something that people like. And you know what the big thing I circled here was? And this is a clue, and I don't know if this is going on in the big picture for you, but your case in point is, I was working with a group of young women all right you're 63 all right I'm close to your age so there's no shame in being 63 but you know who the good friends for a 63 year old are are other people who are roughly in that age category all right we I have a lot of friends of all ages but like close friends they're not going to be a group of young women you know what the group of young women are doing they're doing something totally different and if you can remember being a young woman you liked people you 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 think they never even liked you i bet they did like you they had lunch with you but they're a group of young women with young woman concerns and young woman relatedness and of course they're going to gravitate towards hanging out as a group and not even think to invite someone who's a generation older that's not anything terrible it's really important to just sort of go you know what this is not you didn't do anything wrong here you didn't do anything wrong except for be somebody who's totally open-minded about age. All right, and I kind of relate to that. I meet people and I like them. And then gradually, as I know them, I find out they're like 30 years younger than me. And like, it never occurred to me we were like different generations. And likewise, for people who are much older than me, like it just, I don't even think about it. I just kind of like people and, um, but I'll tell you what, when I was young, I was very acutely aware of age. And I had that thing that young people have where you think older people don't really get it or they don't understand. And so you may have been looking for friendship in the wrong place. Um, And this was your job. So a bunch of people were going out to lunch. But these are not your potential best friends. So great. And this thing about the car, like you didn't realize it was the car. But I got to kind of wonder if there was some unconscious level where... You wanted to be friends with them so much that you were thinking of ways, it's like, what can I do? What can I do for them? So another thing that I circled in your letter was this thing that I was home being concerned for them. Now, this is a little different. I just did a video recently about something I call concern shaming. And concern shaming, this is not what you're doing, but concern shaming is when you say, I'm very concerned about you because actually I have this criticism of you. I want to ask you, do you think maybe your concern is not really concerned, but you're using the pretense of concern to actually kind of like yearn. It's more like yearning. I'm yearning for you. And you say, well, I'm concerned. You didn't call me and I'm concerned something's wrong. I would just say that doesn't seem very realistic that if you have a friend and you haven't heard from them for a while, to worry that something you know that they've died or you know ended up in a in a psych hospital or something that's probably not the case i think it's you know people come and they go people come and they go and i have people who are very good friends and i don't talk to them sometimes for years and then when we talk it's great to talk and we feel really close and then we move on and i'm thinking of this friend she was so incredible so kind so generous she still is she's still my friend But there was a time when i first got engaged my kids were small and i was engaged and she was single and she was between jobs and she was figuring out what she was going to be doing in her life so we were in these very different places in our lives and i think we've all been on either side of that i was really busy i had you know this i was in love and my very dear friend was still just having me as a friend and she would call me and want to get together like every weekend and I asked the person mentoring me at the time I go what do I do like I just I can't hang out every weekend but I don't want to disappoint her I don't want her to feel like I'm not her friend and I got the suggestion my friend said you know what my best friend we hang out like once a month and it's a very strong friendship and I thought about it like I have close friends that I only see every few years if that and when we do get together it's very close and I know they like me they love me I love them So just because somebody doesn't want to hang out with you all the time doesn't mean they don't like you. You are not too stupid to live. You totally belong here. That thing where you are too stupid to live, that's a lie your CBTSD tells you. Just throw it out, no lies here, no no room for that. You are supposed to be here and you're brilliant and you have an open heart and you want friends. But I know what's happening here because I've been in this place. A friend is a friend, a person who supports you and fills that space of a family or partner. That's another thing. And so when you're going into friendship with this tremendous imbalance that you don't have that person or you don't have the hope of that person and you're conflating the thing of like somebody who's nice to go to the movies with and go for a walk with the person who is going to be there for you day after day and go to your doctor visits with with you and celebrate your birthday with you. That's a different role. That's the person who's missing right now. And it's totally normal what's happening, but that person not being in your life right now, when it's your desire to have that, it's putting a whole bunch of pressure on your friendships. And your friends like you, but they're having to set a boundary on that because that's not what they need right now. And I think that two people who are in the same place of needing that close of a friend, like a, you know, almost like a surrogate family. Like when people can match on that, it can go really well. And as somebody who, like my family of origin is just about 100% lost to me. And so I I created a new family and there was this period of years between the two. And I was, um, I had a medical crisis. I was in and out of the hospital a lot. My family of origin wasn't, was hardly available to help me with that. I needed so much help. It went on for years. And I didn't have a partner, I didn't have a sibling in my life, I I didn't have any of those people who are supposed to help you with that. And I remember I was going to this therapist at the time and I was just crying like, why is this so hard? Why do I have to suffer so much with all this medical stuff and kids? And the therapist just pointed out so kindly, like this is supposed to be the job of like a spouse or maybe a mother or maybe a sister, right? But i didn't have those people i didn't have those people and she suggested to me and this was very good advice like this is a long-term project but it's time to build that it's time to build that and i feel very strongly that if you long to have a spouse that That is a very good thing to start working on. You're 63, there's no time like the present. You can start working on that. And if you're serious about having a spouse, I think there's certain things that you would start to do differently. Honestly, people with childhood PTSD so often don't let them own that desire. So they put some little short-sighted thing, like you saying you want to date. And I get that, dating is the first step. But I just encourage you, like, go ahead and expand that and just say, I would like to have my spouse, I would like to be married, I I want that, I want somebody to be with me through thick and thin, I want somebody to go home with and spend holidays with and give birthday presents to and make their favorite food and when I'm throwing up I want them to help me out, hold my hair out of my face. I want a spouse and let yourself let yourself want that just let yourself want that there it's a beautiful and good thing to want and it's not impossible and yes young people with all their beautiful skin and everything and with their future of being able to have children they're in a certain boat with that okay so that's great i'm so glad they're in that boat but at 63 you have a slightly different type of relationship that's possible for you. And especially if you are this kind and caring person, you have so much to give. So I promised you we're going to talk about fake friends. I believe that what's happening for you is that you're forming fake friendships because you're not fully owning who you are, how you really feel and what you really want. heck with being concerned about people who ghost you let go of all that concern you get to be hurt and angry when people ghost you you don't have to tell them you can tell them if you want but quit pretending that you're so nice that you don't need anything that you're, you're merely concerned for others that's just not even real so it's time to start expressing yourself no one can fall in love with this fake version of you. And this isn't something you're necessarily going to pull off in a flash, okay? It takes practice and it takes a lot of personal power to become your real self. And I'll talk about the personal power in a moment. But here's how to start practicing being yourself. Alright, I'm going to give you some suggestions of things you can start doing, uh, several of them a day, at least one a day, okay? I want you to begin saying what you really feel and saying what you really think. I'm not saying go out there and intentionally hurt people's feelings, but have you not maybe suppressed yourself and played along and pretended to be nice when actually you had something to say, a preference? Like, actually, I don't want to go to that restaurant. I want to go to this one. Or, um, I actually don't want those responsibilities on the job. I prefer to do this and I would like a raise, please. <laughs> you say what you really feel and what you really think this is one of the things that starts to let you become yourself stop suppressing the truth all right another thing you can do because you're going to need brain power and i've one of the things that i think is so forgotten that helps increase our intellectual strength is reading challenging books so I don't know what you like to read or watch on TV, I certainly love to relax and watch junky TV shows, but I also try to read challenging books and every time I do I start to have new ideas, new inspirations, new things to talk about and when I find myself in some social situation with people, I have something really interesting to contribute and then I have much more capacity to be interested in what other people are saying and we all know that that's a lot where connection happens you don't have to make them your best friend but you just practice building your knowledge and having interesting things to say so you're not just you're not just approaching uh, people like a bee to a flower where you just need your pollen you know you're going there like hey you know (laughs) i was reading this great book what do you think about this idea that is something a lot easier for people to engage in and it doesn't feel needy All right here's another suggestion for you and this is just a wild guess but I'm going to think because you've been playing nice (laughs) and because I suspect that you were neglected as a kid and you weren't listened to that there was a lot of emotional neglect. I would like you to practice at least once in a while maybe once a week dressing beautifully with color and style. This is something I have to work on. A lot of my childhood trauma is expressed with like not bothering with nice things for myself stop dressing down dress beautifully just build yourself up and then walk around being dressed more beautifully than you're used to and just feel that okay feel you being you and if you don't have a lot of money you have a job so that should be sort of easy but for anybody who doesn't have a lot of money personally i love thrift shops (laughs) i love thrift shops and I love getting oddball things to wear, like completely loud necklaces <laughs> and brightly colored shirts. I really enjoy sometimes just kind of splashing out and, and dressing for the extravagant side of myself. All right, here's one of the hardest things. I think this might be hard for you, but to be more authentic in yourself, and that's to stop doing things that you don't want to do. What I would encourage you to start doing is get into a group where it's not dependent on friendship. Nobody has to give you permission to be in the group. And I'm thinking maybe a 12-step program like CODA. There's a little bit of what I'm hearing as codependence here in trying to be nice and being concerned about them when they don't show up. That sounds a little bit like codependence. And I used to poo-poo the idea of codependence until I realized, actually until I had like a toxically codependent person in my life. And uh They hurt me very much, honestly, with their pretend concern and pretend fixing. Um, It's not good to be codependent. It's really good to be yourself. It's really lovable to be yourself. And in a 12-step group, you get to show up, you get to talk, you get to get to know people. And it's not always this big social pressure thing. Like everybody just comes and then everybody goes home. All right. Very nice. Very easy. Lots of practice connecting with people and paying attention and just learning like what do other people go through? What is hard for them? What are they good at? If you're honest there and if you actually like participate and get a sponsor and work the steps there, you, really good things begin to happen. That's my experience. All right, and I promised I'd talk about the the part about personal power. I'm going to suggest that you stop presenting yourself as a person who doesn't make any trouble like I don't need anything but all I do is like offer my car and um, I don't talk about my trauma and and I agree like it's not appropriate to talk about our trauma to every Johnny come lately right it's it's too much information and it just gets us all triggered and makes things weird but you do get to be you you do deserve friends where at some point along the road you do get to open up to each other and you do it in little increments but your personal power is coming from you being you and you beginning to express yourself. When you hide that part of yourself, it makes you incredibly hard to get close to. And what other people may have experienced trying to be friends with you or dating you is that when they start talking about something and you start dancing around trying to be nice and hide the problem and the trauma and everything, what they're seeing is just kind of like flatness. They're not really seeing anything that they can connect on a heart level to, All right. And when you're trying to like placate everybody and be not too much for them, I'm not too much, And somehow I have an intuition that you got told this as a kid, like your needs are too much, right? But when you're in that place of kind of going, no, no, be my friend. You know, I'm not too much. I promise I won't need very much. (sighs) I just feel like crying, you know, I've been there too. And the energy that you have when you're doing that, it's like pursuit. It's like you're chasing someone. And all of us have an instinct to be wary of people who are sort of trying too hard. That's why we don't like door-to-door salespeople and things you know we just like we're wary about that um that sort of like pushing in of people so i heard you you you're saying you give them space and you do that so i know you know that but there's this weird way that controlling yourself on that all the time might just be making you impossible to connect with so you, you didn't specify what it is that you're suppressing from other people, what you think that they can't accept about you. And I don't know, um, the likely culprits for people with CPTSD is anger. You know, you get bitchy maybe, or sharp with people. I don't think that's you. Or you think you're not enough in some way. Or you think you're too much. And I'm guessing that you're somewhere wobbling around. I'm too much, I'm not enough, I'm too much, I'm not enough. All right, that all has to go. You're exactly right. You're exactly right, Carla. I'm so glad you wrote this letter and I just want to encourage you to start being yourself and go into your personal power of being yourself and the lovable woman who you are, who owns what she really wants. I'm not talking about being pushy, but just to say, yeah, I want love, I want friends, I'm working on it. It's a, it's a lovely and beautiful and holy desire to want to be connected with people and When you can accept that in yourself, I think you're gonna find that the wind is under your wings and it's gonna help you along the way. I wish you luck, I send you love. (laughs) If any of you watching this out there, if you have loving words for Carla, please send them in. If you have criticisms, please don't even comment. Like nobody wants your criticisms here. This is a safe and loving community. And I, I must express so much gratitude to the people who bravely send in their true stories of what's going on for them and what they struggle with. Let's give some love and support. I'm going to talk about what these symptoms look like and how you can heal them. So let's start with the first and most obvious one and that is lashing out. The most destructive symptom of unhealed trauma is the way negative emotions, which are normal, get oversized in our minds and come bursting out of us without a filter. How many times have you expressed yourself and then within a minute or two had that strange feeling that maybe your anger came out a little too strong? It's the worst feeling. And part of this behavior could be what you learned at home from parents who raged, right? But a lot of it probably has to do with how your brain and nervous system handle stress and negative experiences, even little ones. When you feel criticized or judged or treated unfairly or left out there can be this burst of brain activity. There are studies where they've measured this reaction in people who had intensely stressful childhoods and when something negative happens now What you'll see on a brain scan is on the right front cortex where emotions happen, it's like, boom, off the charts activity. And at the same time, this dampening of the left front cortex where reasoning is supposed to be happening. That is what it feels like, right? Not so much reasoning, a lot of emotion. Now, people who don't have that trauma injury going on would probably have a little on both sides, you know, some emotion, some reasoning, and they'd be thinking to themselves, I should put this in perspective. I should ask some questions and pause a little, find out why this is happening and see if I can mitigate it. Now, remember how normal people do that because this is your workaround, too. You can teach yourself to do that process and override the CPTSD response. You get hurt by something a friend says, it's like a five alarm fire over here. You're like, whoa, it's a big surge of emotion. And your instinct is to fight it, to make it stop, because it feels like all that emotion is being caused by the other person. But actually, your reaction, which is generated in here, is exaggerating the reality. Sure, people do and say hurtful things, but with CPTSD, something this big feels this big. And you're getting all these body signals, adrenaline, cortisol, a feeling of being gut punched or even panicky. And you're either going to go into fight, flight, fawn or freeze mode. And when you lash out, that's fight mode. We all know how it feels to be on the receiving end of somebody doing that. It hurts, it feels unreasonable and crazy making, and you want to protect yourself. So when you react with that fight mode, you'll get a lot of people pulling away from you. And in a moment, I'll teach you how to prevent that. Okay, sometimes it's not overt anger that you're expressing. It's a negative emotion. It's usually anger or a feeling of being threatened, but you're dressing it up as concern, as in I'm only saying this because I care about you, or I'm just speaking my truth, right? Have you done this? You say things that you think are just true or caring or clarifying statements, but your words are loaded. They're full of little prickles. And it's because even though CPTSD stops you from seeing this in the moment, your words are full of hurt and it's hurt directed at the other person. And what is it? It's the same criticism, judgment, feeling of unfairness that sets off your triggers. So before you even know what you're doing, your brain is like, you hurt me, I'll hurt you right back. Your CPTSD brain thinks it's protected you but it's totally messing everything up. You actually need friends and CPTSD is sabotaging that. Another way negative emotions come in and wreck your friendships is you abandon people. This is that same thing where your CPTSD brain is trying to protect you and this time by shutting people out, not speaking, not responding to them, giving them the cold shoulder, all because the reaction in here is more than you can handle. And it feels like they did it to you and maybe partly they did but cptsd is characterized by that intense emotional reaction to things that's out of proportion to what's going on and i know a bunch of you are going to say but so and so is a narcissist and they were abusive to me but i'm not talking about them i'm talking about friendships people that you want in your life so if you're feeling a little too much emptiness where your friends are supposed to be this could be one of the reasons right All right, sometimes your anger or defensiveness isn't directed at the person in front of you, it's directed at someone else and you're having a lot of drama about it. And if your CPTSD isn't healed yet, you can be a bit helpless in keeping drama out of your life or staying calm about just regular ups and downs that are in all lives. So having been there, I'd say having drama feels a lot like living in a house where there are no doors and windows and all this cold air and wind is always getting in And there's strangers sleeping on the couch and there's whole rooms piled up with problems. And when that's happening, you can hardly think of anything else. It's all you can talk about. Hey, there's no doors. I'm freezing. There's somebody on the sofa. And we all know what it feels like to be around someone who's overwhelmed by their own drama. You can't help them. You can't reach them. And they're usually way too loaded up with their own stuff to care about you or anybody. The thing to remember is that drama is a natural byproduct when a person is out there living life, which is good, but thanks to being raised maybe in a dysfunctional family, maybe not having such good red flag detector skills, drama gets in. So when you're going through drama, how are you going to not talk about it or have bad days? It happens and this can be healed. But just for the record, some of the people who have left your life, even though you wanted them to stay, maybe left because there was too much drama. The people who might stick around when drama is running high in your life are usually other traumatized people who are maybe mm -hmm, attracted to drama or have so much of their own they're not worried about what's going on with you. Either way it's not a good dynamic. Okay here's a different kind of symptom that pushes friends away and it's when you have too many rules for other people about what they can and can't say and do when they're around you. Now, there is such a thing as boundaries, like please don't give alcohol to my teenager or don't touch this wound on my leg. Those are boundaries. But if you're someone who gets triggered easily into CPTSD symptoms, and I don't think you'd be watching this if you were not, it would be better if you could stay untriggered. Because in that regulated state of being untriggered, you can have your boundaries and allow other people to be their wonderful selves. That's what everybody wants, including you. So what can you do to contain your CPTSD symptoms while your healing is still in progress and still open up your life to better and better friendships? The first and best thing you can do is to learn to calm your triggers from inside rather than trying to make other people protect you from getting triggered. It's not your fault that you have CPTSD, but it's not their fault either. The power to change things is actually here In your own brain and emotions and thinking. This is the only place where change is possible even if it's not instant or easy. You absolutely have the power in any moment, any interaction to pause and soften down and listen and be attentive to what's going on so that your negative emotions can kind of go over here and your friend's feelings can be safe over here. If there's something you need to communicate or express anger about or set a boundary around, it can usually wait a minute or two. And that little cushion of time between trigger and reaction is your friend. Doing this also helps to keep your focus on the values and behaviors that you're trying to hold for yourself or grow into. Now maybe it's kindness, maybe it's a more accepting attitude, maybe it's encouragement for other people. And you know, that little bit of time can also allow you to realize that you wanna step away. Like when other people badmouth others or rant as a way to just be social. Not participating in that is a value too. And no, you don't have to criticize them or judge them on the way out the door. They get to be them. You get to be you. Even if being you means not having them in your life. Now having CPTSD can mean that on some days or for an hour here and there, you might get very stuck in your negative emotions and thinking. Happens all the time. There's a time to talk with friends about it, but there's a way that the intensity of CPTSD can make you talk a little too much about it, too intensely. Good friends need your time and attention too, so force yourself if you have to, to give them the floor sometimes, maybe half the time. What you can do with those negative emotions is funnel them out of your mind and onto paper. And I don't mean journaling, which maybe that's been helpful to you in the past, but the techniques that I used and how I recovered from CPTSD are different and I teach them in a free course where you can learn the writing and the meditation technique that go together to clear that negativity out so that you can be more yourself. I, As always I put a link to that below in the description section, I think it's under every video I ever make. When you do have criticisms of other people you don't have to speak all of them and you don't have to flee either. You can ask yourself when you have the urge to criticize is it really necessary? Usually it's not. You don't have to say I'm not going to your fundraiser because I think the organization is stupid and I don't like the people there it might be true but you can just say oh thank you for the invitation I am not able to come to that but good luck with that you can actually do that when you have hurt someone which is going to happen just be quick to see it admit it do something about it don't wait don't make excuses don't tell your friend all the reasons why you couldn't help but be hurtful you know whatever because of your past because of the problems you're having Just open your heart to them and own it and apologize. What I'm talking about today is a strategy for you to be aware when your emotional reactions are taking hold of you and what you can say or do to handle those situations better to express yourself when you need to but take care not to push away the good people you appreciate and who you want in your life, okay? So the first emotional reaction that can push people away is that when we're hurt or disappointed we disappear and there are a couple ways we do this. One is we pretend we're fine when we're not fine and then at some later date we disappear or in some cases we act fine and disappear like all in the same like five minutes but either way we're pushing people away. So let's take an example. All right let's say that you and your friend have talked for years about taking a trip together to Mexico and It was never a firm plan, but it was something that you'd been looking forward to and you assumed it would really happen. And you're eating lunch with your friend, just like you do every Thursday. And she tells you, hey, I've got exciting news. I'm gonna go to Mexico with my new boyfriend. And it seems like she doesn't remember that you talked with her about that many times, right? Has that ever happened? So you end up saying, oh, great. (laughs) And you have a choice in that moment To tell her how you actually feel or because if you have childhood PTSD and you've had some painful experiences telling people when your feelings are hurt, then out of shame and fear, you might just go silent. You might hide. But either way, again, you're going to push them away. And so you feel like that's happening, right? You fear it and you try to prevent it. And so that's what disappearing is. It's an attempt not to damage the relationship, but unfortunately it's also going to push people away. But here's what disappearing looks like. You're boiling inside. She, you can't believe she would do this to you and pretend that she had no memory that you two had this loose plan, that you were gonna go to Mexico and you're fighting tears and your heart is pounding and these emotions are coming up. And somewhere inside, you know the plan, it wasn't firm. And she's probably innocent but there's this other part of you that's about to slide from sad and feeling kind of sucker punched by this news to angry and mean fight response right (laughs) disappear is flight this is the fight response and of course you know what always happens when the mean part comes out so you don't want to be mean so you just stay silent that's freeze right and you just sit awkward silence with your friend or you fill the silence with chit chat that could be fawning right right but actually you're not there you're so far away you're so far you're gone (laughs) and as soon as you can get out of the lunch you find an excuse you get yourself out of there and you say bye really nice but then comes the long silence right where you avoid where you ghost them and when Thursday rolls around again you tell her, oh, you know, I'm busy. And the next week she texts you to see if you still wanna meet up and have lunch and you ignore her text this time. And the whole time you're thinking, I should just respond, I should just go, I should quit making such a big deal out of this, I'm gonna regret this, I had gotta tell her how I feel. But the later it gets that you haven't answered that text, the weirder you feel that it's gonna be when you actually do respond or get together. And that's where the temptation comes to just really flee, to really blow the whole thing off. And now you've really pushed her away. And it might be recoverable, but your friend feels hurt now. So even worse, if she calls you the next day to find out what happened, you don't want to take her call. You don't want to hear how she's hurt. You don't know what to say. Or it's worse than that. You do pick up the phone and this time you do the the second CPTSD emotional reaction that pushes people away and you release a whole boatload of anger on her. Bite. You start out with a with I statements and feeling words. You go, well, I just, you know, I just feel like we talked about this, right? But then the conversation just rolls over a couple of logs there. And next thing you know, you're blowing up. You're going into accusations and yelling and talking on top of each other. You were hurt, she was hurt. And then you tried to disappear your feelings so hard that what happened is it came out of you like lava, all right? And you say hurtful things, unfair things things you know are only going to damage the relationship, but it just seems in those moments, there's only going to be relief if you can get them said, if you can convince her how hurtful she was. And you know, she might've been realizing she was inconsiderate by forgetting your plans, but now she just wants to get away and that wasn't the outcome you wanted. Okay, so let's unpack what just happened here. You were hurt, you tried to disappear instead of talking to her and then you tried to use anger to get her to recognize your feelings. But all you've got now is someone who wants to put up a wall against you. And she definitely doesn't want to take that trip with you now, right? But if you have a pretty good friendship, then one of you sooner or later is going to try to talk things through. And it might even be you who starts it, which I would give you a gold star for. If you're still in the emotional, reaction of it then when you get together for lunch again even if you start out with kind words and taking responsibility you're going to end up doing the third thing that pushes friends away and that's when your expectations of other people to care about your feelings becomes child-sized and when I say child-sized I don't mean like this I mean like this which is to say enormous we have these child expectations and again this is not your fault If you were emotionally neglected by your parents when you were little, it is so normal to have these huge outsized expectations from friends and partners later on. There's just this big neglected, you know, empty space inside. And so when something hurts you there, when people make you feel overlooked or excluded, what they get from you is hit with expectations that you rightfully had as a child, but that are totally inappropriate now, that you're an adult and you're laying it on them and that doesn't feel good for them. Now as a child you needed to feel important and treasured and central to your parents' lives but with adult friends there's a time to step aside for them, to have other relationships, to go to Mexico with who they want to go with and it isn't always going to be with you. Now when you were a kid if you had to suppress those feelings of abandonment and just soldier on it has a way of making you kind of squirrely around plans and inclusion. You know, so your friend taking the trip you wanted to take with her, with someone else, which is okay. It's not like you had dates set. It's not like you had tickets. That would be another story. It triggers a lifetime of pain in you though. It all comes roaring back in your nervous system. You might not even be conscious. You're just feeling awful. You're sad. You were supposed to be cared for. It's so understandable why feeling left out now is intense. But the thing is, for friends these expectations and you know this was part of yourself even even when the emotions are spilling out and sabotaging everything these expectations are unreasonable to your friend it feels like bullying or it feels like you're crazy and that's how we push people away you know that up here you can see that a rift is coming but down here in your heart it's like a desperate little kid is driving it's it's being a kid all over again it feels in those moments like There's no way to talk it through. There's no good outcome. And the temptation then is to do the fourth CPTSD thing and that is to vilify your friend, to justify all the struggles you have with handling the feelings or expressing them or working them out, but just writing her off as a bad person. And we do this in a hundred ways, right? You're arrogant. You have no idea what other people go through. You're a narcissist. (laughs) Your boyfriend sucks. And okay, we could go on and on. We point the hurt out here rather than feeling it in here and working on it here. And that's how we do the fifth CPTSD thing, where our pain causes us to not be able to see people. It sucks us into ourselves, we can't see people. And you know, if you're gonna have a good friendship, half of that is you being a good friend. And one key property of good friends is that they are capable of feeling happy for their friend When something good happens we can't be in some mental mathematical model where any happiness they have with someone else is an insult or or it robs us of of our due with them and i chose the example of this vacation that you know it's sort of vague a vaguely planned vacation and then it was forgotten by the friend with the new boyfriend and i chose this example because that is inconsiderate and it does hurt but it's the kind of thing that happens all the time between friends they don't owe us the care that a parent owes to a child and they can't actually cheat on us because there's no such promise like there would be in a committed romantic relationship. And yet we react like this sort of thing is happening. A friend is someone you support, who you want the best for, and for whom you give forbearance. You give them a little space to make mistakes or, or to have a misunderstanding. You would never want to, to force anyone to take a trip with you, right? It wouldn't be friendship. It wouldn't even be fun. I've been on trips like that. And so the solution in this situation is to be a person who has several friends, who's not relying on one person to be your everything. That way you can take responsibility that you have a dream, you wanna take a trip, and if it's not this person, maybe you'll try that person. Maybe you'll go by yourself. But you're not gonna put responsibility for your happiness on your friend. Now, was she disappointing? Yes. So here's what you might have done earlier in all this back at that first lunch where she first told you that she was going to Mexico. All right. so your friend says, guess what? New boyfriend and I are going to Mexico. Okay, so just like before you get a strong emotional reaction and you grew up and abused and neglected so that's going to happen. Okay, but here's what you might say, oh my gosh, that's so great. You must be so excited. Now you're you're expressing that you want the best for her even though you're not feeling it right now and then you can say you know I have to admit <laughs> I'm having a bit of an emotional reaction about it right now and I'm I'm totally happy for you but for me I'm kind of crushed. I don't know if you remember but you and I talked about a trip to Mexico. Do you remember that? And then your friend might go, "Oh yeah. She probably knew, right? She probably did remember all along." But she go oh yeah well i didn't know we had an actual plan all right now that's fair right and then even if you still feel all your strong emotions you can speak out of your highest values and know that the way your feelings are going to come back to earth later is going to go better if you can be true to your values now while they're just going crazy you're not acting directly on your intense feelings you're acting on your values that you want to be fair, that you want to be level-headed, that you're going to give yourself time to think about things, to see what you need to express if you need to. It doesn't ever have to be like in this minute. I do think there's a lot to be said for speaking up in the moment, but sometimes as people with childhood PTSD, we need time to kind of think this through. Um, Maybe use our tools to calm the triggers down. Maybe check in with, with a mentor or a coach or a friend, kind of go, am I being unreasonable here? So in this case, I would just say you know i've created an example where it's hurtful but the right thing to do is to give her your blessing because you can't force her on the trip and if you want to stay friends you got to find a way to work with this and be an independent spirit who has several people you could make such a plan with or do it by yourself okay so this is a friend you care about you want her in your life and so something you could say is the way that i feel so bad about this makes me see that i really need a vacation And I'm going to take some time to figure out how I can do that. It sounds really fun what you're doing. I hope you have a great time." And there it is. It's really graceful. You've been honest. You haven't suppressed your feelings. You haven't squished it down and tried to, you know, obliterate yourself in order to be accepted by somebody. You've said how you feel. You've also been gracious and loving. Hi Anna. I have CPTSD from a very neglectful and abusive childhood. Then an abusive 25-year marriage than an abusive boyfriend for five years. I am single now and not looking, woot, woot. (laughs) I've done a lot of work on healing myself over the last two years. So proud of you, Tina. I feel that I have come really far, but I have a lot of healing to do, we all do. I practice daily writing and grounding in my garden along with other relaxation methods, good. And I wanna finally have a safe, happy life and hopefully marriage one day, good goal. I have two really close friends that i've known for decades we initially bonded over our similar childhood experiences and how many strong positive traits we have in common they've been there for me during the most difficult times in my adult life one friend seems stuck in fight mode everything is a fight with her now she's referring here tina's referring to the fight or flight response or fight flight or freeze response or now thanks to pete walker there's a fourth response named and defined and that's fawn fight flight freeze fawn these are nervous system reactions to stressful situations and they're set off by the brain and the autonomic nervous system and so when you let's say you almost get hit by a car your your body will go and you'll run out of the way (laughs) right and your heart will be pounding and cortisol will be going and all of that was designed to help you well with childhood trauma Sometimes we get stuck in trauma reactions just about little things where actually we don't need to run out of the way Um, and another form it can take is the fight response. So let's say a predator comes up, you know, a lion jumps on you and you have to fight the lion. Well, we get that response also from abuse and then we can end up having an involuntary fight reaction when we're just having a conversation at the supermarket. And that's a lot of what is difficult about handling untreated complex PTSD from, from abuse and neglect in childhood. The freeze response is when somebody kind of spaces out or uh, can't really, you know, just get stuck in the same spot and doesn't know what to say or how to react to a threat. The fawn response is, is when a person tries suddenly to be a great people pleaser it's like oh don't be mad don't be mad we try to placate and calm them and most of us cycle around to all four of those responses fight flight freeze or fawn and we often favor one of them you know you might have one that's the dominant one in you so in tina's letter she's describing a friend who's stuck in fight mode everything is a fight with her she argues with cashiers at the store she flies off the handle in huge disproportionate ways over the smallest slight from strangers her kids will say or do something wrong and she will hurricane i've never heard that word but i love it to hurricane a verb (laughs) i get it i don't even need an explanation she will hurricane lecturing and making them give these overly complicated apologies to everyone even people who were not present or involved in the quote, offense. She fights with people on the internet and every neighbor she's ever had. Her childhood and marriage were horrifically violent. She acknowledges that she has CPTSD, but she says it's too much to face the healing work. I'm almost never the recipient of her storming, but it stresses me out to see her doing it to others. Yeah, I'd feel the same way. I've come to recognize that my go-to PTSD response is fawning. And we talked about what fawning is, right? People-pleasing. So, Tina writes, When my friend gets like this, I find myself trying to soothe the situation or create some distraction to stop her over-the-top response. I feel great fear. My other friend, she says, is stuck in flight. (laughs) Flight response. A fact she readily states about herself. She and I like to watch your videos together and discuss them. She was violently, physically and sexually assaulted from toddlerhood, then abandoned and homeless by age 12. Oh my gosh. She admits she has CPTSD too. Okay, I'm so sorry. But periodically, she just abandons our decades-old friendship with no warning and no explanation. Often it happens after we have just shared a wonderful day together. She also does this to her mom, sister and adult kids. So that's what she means by flight. She just evacuates the relationship periodically. She will not answer my calls and replies with short texts only saying how much she misses our friendship, but she stays cold and distant. It is so hurtful and at times leaves me in the lurch when we have agreed to do something or work together on projects. Then weeks or even months later, she suddenly pops back up like nothing happened and does not want to talk about it other than to apologize profusely and promise never to do that to me again. She's been doing this to me for 30 years. No matter how I explain the abandonment trauma, it causes me. Yeah. She refuses to take any actual action to change this or do any real healing work. I love my dear old friends. We've shared so many experiences and laughs and hurts. We've always been this motley crew of walking wounded until I began doing all this healing work. Now, after all their dysregulated behaviors, I feel exhausted and foggy-headed. My question is this, I know I can't do my wounded friends healing work, but I also can't bear the idea of them being out of my life. I really love them so much. They are my support and safety net. They can't help the way that life has made them any more than I can. My heart is filled with compassion for their pain and lost childhoods. Do you think someone like me with life altering CPTSD can be close to unhealed wounded people and still heal? Or is continuing to experience their trauma keeping me from moving on into healthy relationships? Is there a way to help our dysregulated loved ones without being sucked in ourselves? Do you think getting healthy means leaving behind those we were unhealthy with before we healed? Thank you for reading this and for any thoughts you want to share. Today, I'm going to talk to you about how to have better friendships. Now, if you grew up with a crappy childhood, you may struggle a little bit to have good close relationships with people. A lot of times the trauma in childhood makes attachment just kind of funky and weird and fraught for us. And if we didn't learn how to do this at home necessarily, we just need to be taught. So I have some tips to show you how to have better friendships by basically being a better friend. So here's um, here's my first tip. Pick the right people for friends. And you know how it is with us. We get attracted to troubled people. And so if you're like me, you have kind of a history of making friends with maybe the most troubled person in the class or... Um, people who have drug problems, or people who are really not available to be good friends. So um, the first thing is to start identifying like who would be the good healthy people for you to hang out with. Now I know hanging out with good healthy people is easier said than done when you had a crappy childhood. Um, Sometimes you know if we have that sort of like childhood PTSD going on we can be overreactive, we can um, be kind of blamey or a little too angry or not quite, you know, understand the rules of how to be a good friend and um, or get w- really withdrawn from people and run away from the whole thing. Um, and in the end, that can, you know, it's, a, it's like a whole trail of like relationships that didn't quite work out. That's, that's why the whole crappy childhood thing is so difficult. But you can work on these things. It's really kind of logistical and um so it's you know keep in mind research shows that the people you hang out with have a bigger effect on how your life goes than just about anything else they influence the choices you make they influence the standards you set for yourself they influence the other people you're going to meet and so um one of the first things you can do to have great relationships is just to pick good people and then like work overtime to be a good friend So when you wanna hang out with somebody, um, I would suggest, if it's at all awkward, invite them to do something with you. Um, Especially for women, you know, sometimes we get together just to talk. And that's really good with somebody you're already close with, but if you're just getting to know somebody, it's good to get together and do something, Um, some activity, and like um, one of my favorite Examples is bowling, right? If you go to a movie with somebody, you can't talk. If you go to a restaurant, you have to talk. But if you go bowling, you can kind of talk and do something. And if things get a little weird or you need a little breather, you can just focus on the bowling for a few minutes and then come back to the conversation. So doing things helps. All right, the next thing is about being a good listener. Now, everybody knows this, but try this, okay? When you get together with your friend, spend 30 minutes just doing an experiment, only listen and respond to what they're saying about themselves, don't talk about yourself at all. Now, I'm not saying do this forever, but just as an experiment and as a practice, just listen to the other person and reflect on what they're saying and give them feedback, but don't talk about yourself. This is like, it is so common, I I do it all the time too, where somebody says something and you go, oh, me too, that happens to me. Or, oh, I have a story about that. But just for exercise, spend 30 minutes. My husband and I went to a party once and just for an exercise, we did the whole party never talking about ourselves. And it was funny, we were so popular. We got invited by two other couples to have dinner sometime and that you know normally wouldn't happen. And they didn't know anything about us and they actually never asked, which was interesting. So it didn't actually come to any dinners, but it was really a lesson to me. People really need to be listened to. So here's another thing that um, to like keep in mind, and it's another form of good listening, is don't give unsolicited advice. Um, like if somebody says, oh, you know, um, I had a hard day yesterday, I had a headache all day. Uh, you don't have to jump in and tell them what to do about headaches. They're not really telling you about the headache. And um, unless people specifically ask for advice, it's just so much better to listen and kind of hear what is the content of what they really wanted you to hear, which is that they had a hard day. It was so hard they had a headache the whole time. And then you can say, oh, why was it hard? So that's better listening. Similar to that, when... when. Um, When you give them a compliment, I mean, people like compliments and you don't wanna do it too much, but when you can give a sincere compliment, make it a clean compliment. Um, Don't say, oh gosh, your blouse is so pretty, mine is so ugly, but I love yours. That's not a clean compliment, that you sort of are putting them on the spot to say something about your blouse. Um, So a clean compliment is you go, you know, that, that shirt you're wearing just looks great. It's a really great color for you. That's it, and you just make it clean, a nice clean compliment. People really like and they need encouragement and they like it when their accomplishments or the good things about them are noticed. So that's just a good friend thing to do is to to notice and encourage what's good. So here's another good listening thing. When your friend has told you about um, a big thing they're expecting, maybe they have an award they're gonna get over the weekend, or they tell you about something that was hard. Um, you know, they, they um, had knee surgery and it was really painful. A good friend follows up on that, maybe calls them a few days later and says, well, how did the award ceremony go? Or how is your knee doing today? And if you think about it, the people who do that for you Those are the people who you end up closest with. That is is like showing up for people and actually paying attention, not just in the moment in the conversation, but over time. That's what a good friend does. And if you wanna have a friend, you gotta be a friend. And if you wanna have a good friend, you gotta be a good friend. Another thing is be a believer in your friend. Everybody has self-doubt. And when we become friends with people, we'll begin to reveal what our doubt is. Um, You know, well, I am thinking about changing jobs, but I'm not, honestly, I'm not sure that I'm smart enough for that job. Well, you know what a good friend is? Is somebody who sees your very best potential and believes in you and can express that to you. So be a believer in your friend. I think a lot of people like, um we tend to think that if we don't put somebody down then we're not causing any harm but actually people need to have a witness that they're they're actually doing something right and that there's even the potential for them to do something even better so good friends can believe in the best possible outcome and always encourage a friend towards that next step a good friend also shows up for the hard stuff and that means um picking people up from the airport, visiting them in the hospital, helping them move their furniture, and sitting with them when they're grieved, when they've lost a loved one. I know that when, um There was a period of my life where I had a lot of tragedy. I really found out who my friends were and some people who I thought were good friends, they were just like gone. And other people who I hadn't yet been very close to, they really showed up for me and they um, came and visited me in the hospital and they sat with me when I was the most depressed and encouraged me and took me for walks. And in the long run, those are the people who became the lifelong friends. It's a beautiful thing to do for other people. So you want to show up for the good stuff, you know, the weddings and the parties and the celebrations, but you also want to show up for the hard stuff. So a good friend shows up for the good and the bad. And you never want to talk behind their back. I'm just going to say this. You don't really want to talk, say, say anything bad about anybody who's not present, but especially your friends, don't ever talk about them behind their back. I mean, even if you know for a fact they're never going to know, just on the off chance that that energy reaches them, you don't want to talk about your friends behind your back, have their back. Um, protect their identity, protect who they are and protect their hearts. And Finally, stay in touch with them. This is one of the great afflictions of our times is that um, we think, well, you know, I said hello on Facebook and I saw a picture of their kids there. But if you're not talking to people face-to-face or at least on the telephone, it's really hard to sustain a close friendship. Facebook doesn't count. Even texting doesn't count. So whenever you can, see people face-to-face. If you can't see them face-to-face, talk on the phone or video chat. If you can't talk on the phone, send an email. If you can't send an email, send a text. And if you can't do that, okay fine, talk to them on Facebook. How can people with CPTSD maintain loyal friendships? It often seems to end with the friend abandoning the friendship without any explanation. Oh yeah, friends who ghost. Um, so I had that. And one of the things I did about it, this is some time ago now, but I was noticing that my friendships were not very solid. And there's a number of reasons. And a lot of them are driven by me. It's partly who I choose. It's partly how I act in a friendship. And it's partly um, how I act when I think they're pulling away, but maybe they're not. But then I would get so like anxious about it, I would start being kind of, I don't know, some some sort of like difficult side of me would come out trying to cope with that or Or I would assume, see, they don't like me. I'm not going to call them anymore. So I would sort of like crap out on a relationship. But one thing I did is I noticed that um, when people were sort of pulling away and I didn't have any idea why, I picked three people where I felt like I respected what they were saying enough that I would ask them directly. And I said, can I ask you, um, I noticed that we used to be better friends than we are now. And can you tell me why? And honestly, I've done this again. And some people will not, they can't, they won't tell you or they say, I will tell you, but I won't get back to you. And that's horrible. And if they can't even get back to you about a sincere question like that, they're not friends. So don't worry about them. But when I did this, um, I remember the first time I did this and it took all the courage I got. Could you tell me why you sort of, you know, what did you think? I can tell I'm doing something wrong. Cause you know, I'm thinking of three relationships in my life where you know, it, it started feeling bad and distant in the same way. And I didn't know why. And I'm asking each of you, would you tell me why? And there was one thing in common. They all said a couple of things, but the one thing they all said, they said, when you get mad, Anna, you're too intense. And, and it hurt my feelings. And when all three people said that to me, I had some real information I could use. And that's my CPTSD. It's not my fault I have CPTSD, but that's what happens when I feel like I don't know, hurt, triggered, abandoned, pressured or whatever. There's this anger that comes up that's coming from my well of trauma and from my dysregulation. It's like an emotional dysregulation and other, I can't ever, you know, like the, the way that that's going to get better is not by trying to make other people never trigger me. I would love it if it were, but it's not like I, you can't, even if it was them, they, they're not going to cooperate. So I had to learn how to choose better and to deal with my own dysregulation so that when I'm frustrated, when I'm scared in a relationship, that if, that I can either avoid that harsh talk, or if it happens, I can come back and apologize for it. Like I'm here to, I've been doing this a long time and I still have CPTSD. And I still, you know, I was like right before this call, um, or earlier this morning, I was on the phone with Kara and my husband and we were sitting there and we were trying to get the links together in a document where Kara could keep pasting links when they're mentioned. And I was like, make a bitly, make a bitly. And my husband was just like, asking me questions and not making a bitly. And I was in a hurry and I was just like, Oh my God, just make the bitly. (laughs) I was so annoyed. So later I apologize. I'm like, I'm really sorry. I was rude. I just felt like I, I, I was like doing leading group coaching this morning before I did this. And I just got scared. Like I can't handle all of this and we have to be ready. So I have my reasons, but nobody cares about my reasons. They just care that I get it and that I'm sorry. And that I, you know, am have a capacity to stop being that way. Everything in my life changed when I realized how powerful it is to take responsibility for my behavior that is actually disrupting relationships and to take put less focus on their behavior that triggers me. When people are getting called to the carpet all the time for how they're triggering me and I'm not actually just going ahead and dealing with the way that I behave when I'm triggered, people don't want to be around that. That's too much work. It's too painful. It's not fair. So that's the most powerful thing you can learn if you're if you're brave. And the way that I get the courage to do that, because it does, it takes, it takes some like ego deflation. It's humility, not humiliation, but humility to go, uh, oh, I think I behave badly and I want to clear that up. That takes humility. And humility. Is only safe for a person who's been traumatized. Because, you know, what is CPTSD? It's like an existential threat. I'm going to die if people criticize me one more percent. You know, I cannot take any more. That's what it feels like. So it feels like we cannot take criticism. We can't criticize ourselves. But so the daily practice has given me a buffer so that I can, I have a little space to, you know, look at myself and go, okay, is there anything that I'm doing here that's contributing to the stress? When you've cleared up that part of yourself, you might realize you don't even like this person. You know, sometimes we're just tap dancing for approval. Sometimes people are really awesome and we don't want to blow it with them and we want to get up on our toes and act better. And those are good people to keep around. If you find yourself not trying to people please, but you have a genuine desire to try to step up in your life and become a good person, a better person than you've ever been before, that's a good sign. That's a good sign that the relationship is worthwhile and quality for you. Anything that helps you like step up like that, that's a good thing to have in your life. My friend has CPTSD but feels hopeless and at the end of her rope all the time. What can I offer that might be helpful for her? Oh, that's a hard question. That's a hard question. Well, thank you for that. So Silver Roxy 79, the first thing you can do is heal yourself. And I I hate to be such a tough ass about this, but I have tried to save so many people <laughs> who are at the end of their rope. But um, we're best able to care for people and give them the support they need when we're clear-headed and we're not like whatever your tendency is that's negative, like getting codependent and like going, oh, it's okay. I'll, I'll handle everything for you. Or I'll take abuse from you or you know the stuff we do. So it serves no one for you to slip into an old pattern. And you might want to think about like, what is your old pattern? What What was the bad dynamic between you and a parent that led you to have CPTSD and, and, and really care for yourself not to slip into that. So daily practice, daily practice just keeps you, it's like exercising so that you know how you exercise your core so you don't get back pain. So you, you do the daily practice so that you don't end up like codependently enmeshed with somebody who won't take care of themselves. So, so that's part of it. And, um, and in the connection boot camp that I have, there's other stuff. There's a lot of stuff about like how to, how to support people, but have a boundary. And that's a fine art, isn't it? And nobody taught us growing up, how do you support people and have a boundary? And so, um, I get letters from people who are often like, and this often happens in romantic relationships where we get so invested that somebody should change. And they go, they were going to therapy, but then they quit. And you know, I, what do I do? And it's like, there's nothing you can do. Like adults get to decide yes or no on whether they go to therapy. And so that's my just kind of like tough love position is if you don't like how they are, and you've already told them what you don't like and what you do want, and they don't care, you have your answer and you have to decide whether you're going to learn to tolerate that difference between you or leave. Or leave and see that's the thing when you have CPTSD it's like well leaving leaving just can't be an option my abandonment stuff will come up and it will consume me I cannot face my own abandonment stuff so I've done this so many times so I'll just try to fix this person and I'll try this and I'll try that and I'll follow them around and I'll scold them and I'll buy books and read the books myself and then stick them in front of their nose and all that stuff is very offensive to a free adult who is free and autonomous And who needs to make their own decisions, right? Now, if your friend, when you say at the end of a rope, it sounds like that could be suicidal. And when that happens, there's like very good help and support online about what to do if your friend expresses that thought. And there's a lot of encouragement, like ask them, "Are you thinking of Are you thinking of harming yourself?" And try to create an opening for them to talk about it, because sometimes talking about it will help you be in a better position to help. But even with me, you know, one of my stories is um, I, I got to have a meeting with Pete Walker once. Some of you know him from the book CPTSD. He's brilliant. He, he named a lot of these phenomenon that we have. And I was asking him when people write to me and they feel suicidal, he, I said, what should I do? And he said, oh, you know, if you're not a clinical professional or, you know, you're not a doctor, a therapist, a psychiatrist or a uh, emergency medical technician or something, um, the, your job is to your job is to express support and love and and then say and then try to assist them to connect with somebody who knows what to do about that that was a huge load off my mind i used to get like 3 such letters a week he said, just don't even go there. I would spend my whole evening like trying to convince somebody to, to hang in there. And it's in my nature to desire that for people. But you know, it was happening to me as it was grinding me down and I was getting bitter and miserable. And for a whole month I didn't make any videos and I didn't want to do this anymore. And then I got to talk to him and I was like, okay, so I don't have to deal with that. And, um, and that's a boundary, right? So when people like, um, this isn't, there's no place to really state this on the YouTube channel, but when people go in there and make threats in there, I, I just take them out. I just want to tell any of you, if you're feeling that way, a YouTube channel is a stupid, no shitty, a shitty place, a very difficult place to ask for help. Cause we don't even know who you are. Nobody can help you. We can't find your house. And this is where you want to have the hotline, the suicide hotline number or any kind, there's there's all kinds of like free numbers you can call to just talk to somebody to get through that moment. And I just want to plant in everybody's mind, if you're having that thought, it's like we all have, it comes with PTSD. If you're having that thought, tell yourself, put little post-its up around if you need to. This is the CPTSD talking. The CPTSD wants to, wants to, is is in a lot of pain right now and doesn't want to exist. It's telling me this wrong idea. And it's just your CPTSD talking. So it's time to plug into your people and your tools and come back and use the techniques that help come back from that. And, and, and as somebody who's totally been to that place, I wouldn't know the daily practice if I hadn't gone there and happened to mention to this woman, I for some reason trusted to tell her that I was feeling like that. And she's the one who showed me the daily practice that night and I felt better. And so having a way, a place to put the feelings and the fears, if it can just help you get to sleep. Ah, that's so good. That's so good. So if only we could make people do the daily practice though. So Silver Roxy, your friend, you know, probably if you do the daily practice and tried to show her, she probably was like not interested. Most people in my life never have been. Some have. When I put it on YouTube, I got I found all of you. Okay. So there's, there are people who want it. Um, but the reason anybody wants it is because they sort of see me being me and talking about things. They've watched me transform in an, in an, in an hour from being just really like angry and uh, and difficult and complaining to being fresh faced and feeling optimistic again. When people witness us make these little and large transformations, it starts to make them interested a little bit, um, and the only people, <laughs> my kids, their dad forced them to use the daily practice, but um, to actually use it in sincerity. But when they were really little, like five and seven, I would take dictation for them and they would happily do it. So that was easy. You can't really make anybody do it. And and um, I guess our theme is permission today. You have my permission to step away from this friendship if it's too much for you. Um, but sometimes we have to do that. And I, when I was in my worst place, it was my last friend stepping away from me that caused me to get a real solution. Cause I had been trying to rely on, hi, it's me again. I call them all the time. Look at, I got nineties phone receiver in my hand here. Not like modern phone, <laughs> modern phone. <laughs> hi, it's me again. And I was just, I was just want to, I would want to monologue about all my feelings and stuff like it was therapy. And I, the therapist would let me do it, which actually was not helpful to me. But my friend got sick of it and just said, I can't do this anymore. And I was like, I might die. They were like, well, I don't know. You're going to have to ask somebody else. I can't take it anymore. And, and then I was like, all right, I'm going to step up my game. Then I'm going to find something that helps. I just was laboring under this idea that all my help comes from talking to another person and they will help me feel better. That just didn't end up being true. I love having people to talk to. It is helpful, but but my healing is, my healing happens in here. It's between me and my God and my piece of paper that's where it happens. And then I, I test the waters on, on my progress by living my life and interacting with people, getting feedback, you know, or getting criticized. So yeah, we have a lot of boundary questions today about like care for yourself. Don't go, don't go so far that you lose yourself and you hate life. And, um, and, and do not feel that you have to be an eternal sounding board. I don't think it helps anyone. You know you if, if you share a video share one where i say talk less write more <laughs> talk less write more if you search that on my youtube channel that's the that's my explanation of why talking about it all the time is so triggering and writing about it can be so much more productive and if you need to communicate it to somebody you can read it to them thank you so much for listening if you love my content